Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. So if you have a Bible, open up with me to 2 Timothy chapter 1. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We'll make sure you get one. 2 Timothy chapter 1. And we are two weeks into our new series entitled The Legacy Series. If you missed Last week, you want to go back and check that out, and, and you can do that in a lot of different ways. Um, you can go to our YouTube or Facebook page and watch the video sermon, or you can go to our website, uh, and, and that's uh, cccolumbia.org, and all that stuff is on our materials. So cccolumbia.org, um, and you can pick up our audio there, or you can sign up for subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Google Play. We put it out there in a lot of different ways so that you can uh, get it however you would like it. But uh, if you missed last week, you're going to want to go back and listen because there's a lot of historical context that was given, a lot of background information uh, about what's going on during the time when Paul is writing this and where he's at. And we're going to talk a little bit about that this morning, but, but you, you really want to go back and listen to that. So um, today we're, we're going to be looking at verses 6 through 18. And... Uh, uh, we're talking about the, the whole theme of the book is the legacy. It's about legacy. It's about Paul passing the baton of ministry to his protege, his son in the faith, Timothy. He's saying, Timothy, here is my legacy, a godly legacy, a gospel legacy. Here it is, Timothy. Now I'm, I'm handing it over to you, and I'm going to encourage you to build the same kind of legacy, to stay true, to stay the course as it relates to building a godly legacy. He's really about that. That's kind of the theme of the book. And um, I talked about last week how, you know, there is a dash in between our birth date and our death date. And all of us are living in that dash right now. And that dash represents your, your life. What, what your life is, you know, it's the summarization of your life all put into a dash. And that dash represents sort of an overall theme of who you were when you were here. Like, what will people remember you as? How will people remember you? And we, we talked about how sometimes we think we're living a certain way, and we think we're living a certain, uh, leaving a certain legacy, and actually we're not. And uh, sometimes we can be very surprised about what others see in our life versus what we see in our lives. We're, we're kind of blinded at times, and that's why we want to take very seriously that dash. Want to take it very seriously. Want to say, Lord, help me on a daily basis to live out a legacy that I could pass down to my, my kids or to, to others in my family, uh, pass down to people that they, you know, a godly heritage that they would be able to then pass down as well. And that's what this is all about. Paul is sort of writing to Timothy in that way. He, he's thinking about that. He knows that this is the end. He, he knows very, very soon that he will be going to meet the Lord. And so he wants Timothy to understand these things. Um, you know, we, we, sometimes, like I said, we can, we can have the legacy fake out. <laughs> we can think that, you know, we're living a certain way. I, I was reading a story by Billy Graham had, had said about um, a couple brothers um, uh, during this last week, and I thought it was interesting because um, there was two Scottish brothers named John and David Livingstone. And, uh, and Billy Graham said, John had set his mind 
on making money and becoming wealthy, and he did. He did that. And if you look up his name in an old edition of the Encyclopedia Britannica, you will find that John Livingstone is listed simply as the brother of David Livingstone. He set out to be a wealthy man. Of course, he was a missionary, and, and, and you know, that information is out there, but, but he, he, was, he left a different kind of legacy. He left the legacy of being known as somebody's brother. And I don't want you, that to be your legacy. It doesn't have to be your legacy. But what your focus is will determine what your legacy will be. His brother David was an incredible missionary. And in fact, uh, Billy Graham goes on to say that David committed himself to, to kneeling and praying, surrendering himself to Christ. He had the resolve that I will place no value on anything I have or possess unless it is in relationship to the kingdom of God. Uh, the inscription over his burial place in Westminster Abbey reads, for 30 years his life was spent in an unwearied effort to evangelize. On his 59th birthday, David Livingstone wrote uh, the song, My Jesus, My King, My Life, My All. I again dedicate my whole self to thee. That my friends, is the legacy that we want to leave. That is the legacy that Paul is leaving uh, to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, and he wants Timothy to have that same kind of a legacy. Uh, you might remember that as we talked about where Paul was during this time when he was writing this letter, he is in Rome in prison, and he's in a, a place called the Mamertine Prison. Anybody Google that last week and look it up, like Mamertine Prison? I want to check that out, see what, it, see what it's like. Um, you should, if you haven't, it would give you some context to um, kind of where Paul was when he was writing this. But the Mamertine prison was like the Alcatraz of Rome, really. It was a, a prison that was uh, for people that were probably going to be put to death. It was not a prison people went to, um, you know, to just be incarcerated. It was a prison when you went to it, you were on trial to, to be put to death. And you were either released from that or you were put to death. Now, here's the thing about the ancient prison, uh, you know, systems. They were totally not like our prison systems today. No, they, 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 you, you, it wasn't about three, three cots and a hot, right? It was uh, three hots and a cot or whatever. Yeah, three hots and a cot. There you go. Um, you know, you, you didn't, people didn't make, a, 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 you know, being a criminal lifestyle because they didn't put up with it. You know, pe people that were habitual in their crimes would just be put to death. And in fact, the Romans, if you, as you know, they, they had um, perfected the crucifixion. And so if you weren't a Roman citizen, you were crucified. Most painful, horrific death that you could imagine. You essentially are pinned to a tree by your tendons, and, and you suffocate to death on it. That's the way it works. And the way that you breathe your last breaths as you pull yourself up on those nails from your feet and your hands. You can imagine the pain there to get some breath so that you can fill your lungs and you suffocate and die that way. That's the way Jesus died. Paul was a citizen of Rome and so he, he went a different way. He was beheaded. But Peter, same situation in Rome. Same Caesar, Nero, died crucified. But P Peter of course, he was a little oddball, so he wanted to be crucified upside down. That was tradition held that Peter was, was uh, crucified upside down. He wasn't worthy to be crucified the same way his Lord was. 
amazing. But Paul is in this prison, and he knows that um, he's going to die. Interesting, uh, also, side note about this prison is when they got uh, overpopulated, you know what they did? They flooded the lower chamber with the sewage of the city and drowned the prisoners in sewage. And then they would open another gate and that sewage would just be swept out into the river or whatever it is there. And uh, that very place is where Paul is. Could you imagine the disgust, the, the stench, the, the, the dinginess? The, they didn't clean that stuff out. They don't sanitize that stuff. These are prisoners. And this is where he is. He's writing this letter to Timothy about a godly legacy. I want you to think about that, as I said last week, as we're walking through this. The dark, dingy, sewer-stained cell in the lower chamber of the Mamertine prison where Paul is. I want you to get a sense of the kind of persecution that Paul was going through for the cause of Christ while paying attention to his resolve, listening to his resolve as he's writing this to Timothy. What you'll find is regardless of what he suffered, Paul stayed the course. Paul knew suffering was part of following Christ. And in fact, the Lord told him that. In the very beginning, when he called him um, you know, to himself on that road to Damascus, you might recall it was in Acts chapter 9 where Paul was converted. And it was interesting because everybody was afraid of Paul when he got converted because he was Saul, the persecutor of the church. But then all of a sudden, he's magically transformed. They thought it was a trick. And God called a man named Ananias to go to Paul when he was blinded in this moment and, and give him a message from Jesus. So, he, so Ananias, he gave Paul that vision, and there's going to be a man coming to you, and then Ananias was the man, and Ananias didn't want to do it. He's like, dude, I don't know if I want to do this, but, but listen to the words that Jesus said to him, to Ananias, relating to Paul in Acts chapter 9, verses 15 through 16. He said, but the Lord said to himself, or said to him, Ananias, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. And so Paul understood from the very moment, being a persecutor of the church, the cost to follow Christ. He understood that it was going to cost him perhaps his life, but that was something that he was willing to give over because, you know, as we know, we try to hold on to this life, we'll lose it, but if you give this life up, you gain life. And that's what Jesus wants you to understand. Not literally give your life up, but, but give your life up to Christ and whatever that cause is. And if that means physical death, then so be it. But it means to, to fully give yourself over to the Lord. You know, in these moments like where Paul is right now, um, this is where his legacy speaks the loudest. It's not on the mountaintop. When everything's great and, you know, we, we've got no trials in our lives. Does that ever happen, by the way? But, where, you know, where, where, where everything's going great and, you know, all these kinds of things, that, that's not where your legacy is built. Your legacy is built in the valley. It's built in your suffering, in the facing difficulties and all those kind of things because those things make you a person of legacy. They make you somebody to, be, to want to be remembered. And Paul understood that. He understood the purpose of 
suffering. And, and it, we're going to see as we walk through this, this book, he tells Timothy, Timothy, just suffer well, man. Just suffer well. You're going to suffer, but just suffer well. Do it well. Give, give yourself to the Lord. Trust the Lord. Let him do what he's going to do. And I want to encourage you this morning, listen, don't despise difficulties in your life. Don't despise suffering in your life because there's a purpose in it. Uh, we believe God is fully in control of everything. We believe that God is on his throne. We believe that, that God cares about every detail of our lives. He didn't just sort of set the world in motion and just back off, right? No, he's in the details of our lives. That's why he tells us that we can be still and know that he's God because he's in the intimate details of our lives. That's why we can know that he's working everything out for the good of those who love him who are called according to his purpose because he's in the details of our lives. And in those moments of suffering in our life, God is at work. And, and I tell you, oftentimes, it's the kind of work that we don't want to see because it's the sinful kind of revealing that God is doing in our hearts in those moments where he, he has to show us hey, you want to really see your heart? Here, let me show you. Let me show you how much faith you really have. And let me show you, you know, how much you really do trust me. And, and he doesn't do that because he wants to be mean. And by the way, you know, he, he, he's in control of everything. He allows things to happen and he uses everything, but he does not orchestrate everything in terms of physically going in and making things happen in your life. You know, he uses the enemy, uses the enemy's you know, the, his, the trials that are brought into your life through him, of course, they're cleared by God, but he is not an instrument of evil. But, but he uses these things, and, and, and God wants you to know that this morning as we're walking through these difficult times in our country and in our lives and, and all the things that are going on that, that we can trust God and that no matter what we're about to face, it doesn't matter. It does not matter because Jesus is still king. God is still on the throne, and we have nothing to worry about because he's at work, whatever that means, right? So we ought not be afraid of anything because the Lord is active and he's involved in our lives. And he told Paul, he told Timothy, he told you and I, Jesus said, a servant isn't above his master. They persecuted me, they'll persecute you. So you can expect that in whatever form that might look like. For us in our country, maybe it's a little different than those people who live in India or the Christians that live in the Middle East and, or the Christians that live in Asia. You know, it's, it's different. Maybe it's a more of a physical persecution. Maybe today you're more alienated and you're not able to, you know, deal with certain things as a result. Maybe it does turn into physical persecution. But the reality is, is that God is with us. Paul's resolve from the moment that he was transformed and changed was I will do whatever it is that you want me to do, Jesus. And, and I want that to be your resolve and be encouraged by, by Paul's example through this letter as he writes to Timothy. So we're going to pick it up here. We, we went through the first five verses last uh, week. We're going to pick it up in verse 6 here. Will you stand with me? We're going to read verses 6 through 18, and you're probably thinking like, whoa, uh, it's already 11 o'clock. You're going to go through all this? Don't worry. We're not going to go through them all today, but we're going to read the whole text to keep it in context. 1 Timothy chapter 1, beginning in verse 6. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame 
the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in sufferings for the gospel by the power of God who saves us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifest through the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do, but I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I'm convinced that he is able to guard until the day that has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me, in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phrygelus and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him uh, to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you, you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We ask you, Lord, to help us to hear from you today. Lord, we've, we've made room in our hearts, we've made room in our minds, and we ask you to speak to us now. So come by your spirit now, in Jesus' name, amen. So fun fact about your pastor is that I was once an aspiring country music singer and songwriter. You believe that? One of my debut songs, Whiskey River, did not make it past the campfire, praise God for that. Uh, so uh, we actually, interesting enough, I have... Chris O'Brien, who's back here, he's, a, he, he's a, a guy that I've known for a long time. I actually recorded that in his home studio, like, way back when I was, like, I don't know, young. So, interesting, uh, he, he was, uh, helped me to do that. But, yeah, I, I did that, and uh, I'm sorry, it, it was, uh, <laughs> what are you going to do? Came to Nashville, passed out the CDs and all that, you know, didn't go anywhere, obviously. But, hey, what I want you to know is one of my favorite artists was Garth Brooks. Anybody like Garth Brooks? He had so many great songs, like in the 90s, right? And I was in, coming out of high school and in and, and college in that time, and I, I really liked Garth Brooks. He was so amazing, and uh, I loved a lot of his songs. But one of his songs in particular I really liked. It wasn't actually a song that he wrote. It was a song that was written by Billy Joel. Anybody know what that song is? Huh? Nope. It's called Shameless. The song Shameless was written by Billy Joel. Now, the, the song is, is interesting because it's about a man who is completely and totally undone by a woman. Like, she has so captivated his heart in such a way that he literally will do anything for her. He doesn't care about the world around him because to him, she is his world. And 
He says, literally, I'm shameless when it comes to loving you. Now, that's, that's not a, like, if you listen to the words of that song, it's not going to be like, wow, that's right out of the Bible. It's not, but the concept is, isn't it? The premise of the song, to love shamelessly, is exactly what Paul is saying in verses 6 through 18. We're going to be talking about being shameless for Christ. I don't know if you caught this, but three times in these verses, we hear Paul say the word ashamed. It was first in verse 8 where he tells Timothy, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. And again in verse 12 where Paul declares he is not ashamed of Christ. And finally, he mentions in verse 16 how Onesiphorus was also not ashamed of Paul's change, which was a direct result of uh, you know, being faithful to Christ. The concept that Paul is talking about is being ashamed for the gospel. And of course, we know where Paul's resolve is relating to that. He, he writes that for us in Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God unto salvation for those who believe. So Paul is not ashamed, but he's, he's telling Timothy, beware. You're going to be tempted to be ashamed of Christ. And I don't know about you, but I can honestly say that I have at times in my life, moments, just brief moments in my life, had that ashamedness of Christ. And that makes me sick to my stomach to think that I would be ashamed of my Lord who cr was crucified on a cross for me. And, and you know, not, not necessarily, uh, you know, so much anymore, but when I was a younger believer, one specific time I was with my uh, friends, and one of the things we used to do uh, when we would travel for business and take our clients out is we would always pray before we eat because we wanted them to know that there was more of who we were than just business guys, you know. We weren't business guys who happened to be Christians. We were Christians who happened to be businessmen. And so we wanted to kind of set that mindset. Well, uh, one time I was in Colorado with a bunch of young bucks, you know, uh, a couple of professional athletes and some stuff like that. And, and I'd, I had never, ever relented from doing that. And for whatever reason, the fear of man in that moment, the spirit of fear, just overcame me. And I was just like, usually I waited for the meal to come out. And then as the, the plates were being set out, my heart started beating. You know the feeling where you know you're supposed to do something and you're questioning whether you're going to do it or not? And the, the lady uh, put all the food out, and, and uh, my, my partner looks at me. And he says, well, and I said, dude, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. I just started eating. And uh, my friend, he's a, actually, he's, he's on our board here at church, and his name's Peter Miller. He's one of my partners in business. He, he used to say to me every time I did something like that, he said, dude, that's going in the book. And he, he looked across the table to me. He goes, dude, that's going in the book. It's going in the book. What, what book is that? The book of Tim's errors. <laughs> Thank you, Peter. Appreciate that, man. But, but the point of it is, is that, yeah, it was a direct result of a spirit of fear, worried about what these people were going to think about me. And, you know, to be honest, I'm so ashamed of that. That moment. Why would I do that? Why would I be afraid to do that? And I would say we could all come up here and give a story like that where we were supposed to say something and we didn't. And I say that because I want you to understand every person has that battle. 
uh, some of us hide behind the idea of that, well, that's just not our personality. That's an excuse. It's an excuse to say that I'm, 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 I'm not willing to step out and make a declaration for Christ because that's not my personality. It doesn't matter if that's your personality. You know, if God put you in a position where you're supposed to do that, you need to do it. And what we're going to find out is that um, our ability to be unashamed, to be shameless for Christ, isn't within us in ourselves anyway. It's within the Holy Spirit. And so Paul is telling, uh, you know, t- Timothy here, Timothy, don't be, a, don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed of, of Jesus and, and the things that will come as a result of you standing for Jesus in this world. Don't you dare be ashamed of that. That's something you should be proud of. It reminded me of a story that I heard about uh, the Boxer Rebellion in China in 1899 to 1901. There was a secret society of um, Chinese nationalists who were called boxers. And they were upset with the Chinese government and sort of started this little rebellion because they felt like their, the, 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 um, the regime was allowing the country to become too westernized. And so the, the boxers rallied up, and there were 100,000 of them at one point. And they, they, one particular moment, they surrounded a missionary outlet. They wanted to get anything that represented westernization out of their country. So they surrounded a missionary post that had a school with kids. And they, they, they gave one, one entrance out. There was one way out. It was surrounded by men except for that one door. They told everybody in there, if you, um, they laid a cross on the ground, and they said, if you trample the cross of Christ, trample a cross that we will let you go free. But if you try and walk around it, we will shoot you dead where you stand. And so the first seven kids came out the door. They just blazed over the cross and just, and they let them go. First seven kids. There's 93 more kids in this mission post. The next, the eighth child is a girl, a little girl. She comes up and she approaches the cross and you can see the weight on her face, I'm sure. But she kneels down and prays. She asks God for strength or whatever she prayed there. I don't know. I can imagine. And then she carefully walked around the cross and as soon as she got to the top side of the cross, boom, she was shot dead. Interesting enough, there were 92 other kids behind her. Do you know what they all did? They all did the same thing she did. Her willingness to be unashamed for Christ left a legacy of being unashamed for Christ in that moment for those kids. And they said, he is worth it. He's worth it. I want you to know that Jesus said in Mark, uh, Matthew chapter 10, verses 32 through 33, whoever acknowledged me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. And of course, we're talking salvation. We're talking acknowledgement of Jesus as Lord and those kinds of things. But I want you to understand, this, this is also relating to being ashamed for Christ. How can he truly be your Lord if you're ashamed? You know, you, 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 you know, my wife, I love my wife so much, and, 
could you imagine if I walked around, I'm like, hey, will you stay like five feet behind me? I don't want people to know we're, we're together, you know. She'd probably have a problem with that. I don't know. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, actually, it should really be the other way around. People are like, dude, what are you doing with her? Because... But we don't need to be ashamed of the Lord. Um, and, and we need to be shameless like that little girl who was willing to give her life. Paul gives us eight things here in these verses that we can do to strengthen our resolve about being shameless for Christ. Eight different things. We're going to look at two today in verses six and seven. Beginning in verse six, we find the first thing that Paul tells us. He says, hey, if you want to remain, uh, become and remain unshamed, or shameless for Christ, then you need to keep the gift of God ablaze. You need to keep it ablaze. Look at verse 6. For this reason, I remind you to fan the flame, the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Paul begins this, this section with, for this reason. And in some of your versions, it says, therefore. And because you're all Bible students, you know that when you encounter that phrase, therefore, or for this reason, you have to ask yourself what it's what? Therefore. And so you have to, well, Paul is connecting what he's going to say right now with what he just said. Well, what did he just say in verse 5? He said, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. Paul was just talking about Timothy's godly heritage. He's talking about... Um, you know, the fact that Timothy has sincere faith, we talked about last week that he was a genuine believer, that he was born again because he had sincere faith, and it requires sincere faith. You have to call upon him in sincerity. It's not just acknowledgement of Jesus, but it's a sincere surrender to Christ and saying, you know, here's the keys to my life, Jesus. Take the wheel, right? Um, and, and so... That's what he's telling Timothy. Now, it's interesting because now he's, now he's going to tell him why that's so important because it's connected to something that he was given in his salvation. He was given a gift by God in that moment, and, and Paul is drawing his memory back to that moment to remember what he was given because if he doesn't uh, remember the gift that he was given, there's no way that he can leave the legacy that he needs to leave. It's impossible. And so, um, Paul goes on here in, in verse 6, he's, he talks about this, this gift, the idea of, uh, of, of the gift that he's supposed to hold on, uh, to, to fan into flame. Um, one thing I want to say about, you know, Paul drawing Timothy back to that place of conversion is, you know, that's the first place we should go when we're discouraged. Do you know that? You should be drawn back to the moment when you came to Christ. You should be drawn back to that moment where you started to see God, you know, God cleansed you of your sin, where you went from death to life. Like, that was a miraculous moment. And, and whenever we're discouraged or we're struggling with things in our lives, we can, we can draw back to that moment for strength and encouragement and for remembrance. And in fact, didn't Jesus say that to the very church that Timothy is actually pastoring some 30 years later? They were so theologically correct in Ephesus at that point when John wrote the book of Revelation. They were so theologically correct, but they had lost the relationship with Christ, their first love. They had left their first love, and, and Jesus told them. 
in Revelation chapter 2, 1 through 5, listen to what he said. It really, in verse 5, he said, remember, therefore, where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. Jesus is telling this church who has grown cold, he's telling them to remember where they had fallen, literally, to remember their first love conversion. He's talking to them about remembering where when Christ encapsulated their life, where he, they had that collision with him, remember that moment, remember what that was like, because that's not how you're like now, right? And it's a remembrance of, of that. And then what did he say? Remember what happened in that moment. Repent of your uh, allowing the flame to dwindle. And then what did he say? Go back and do your first works drawing you back all the way back to that place. Remember when you first got saved? Remember how God, you could trust God in an instant and he did things in your life and you were like, whoa, this is amazing. He really exists and he was revealing to himself to you. Remember that? And you were loving Jesus and it wasn't about a routine. It wasn't about what you had to give, but what he gave. It wasn't about you know, the sacrifice you have to make, but it was about, you know, just being thankful that he redeemed your soul. Remember that? That's, that's what he's telling Timothy. Remember that. Remember that. And in that moment, Timothy, remember what God has given you and remember the gift that he has given you that, and, and remember the fact that I laid my hands on you. Now, here's the thing is I want to talk about Pauline on his hands on Timothy before I talk about what the gift is. Because Paul isn't saying he received the gift because he laid his hands on Timothy. That's not what he's saying at all. And in fact, some prophetic, some, some um, you know, ultra-charismatic people, um, you know, they, they, they feel like they can at randomly walk around and just lay hands on people and do things. And I would tell you that that's not in the Bible. But here's the deal, is when somebody lays their hands on somebody, what they're doing is acknowledging the gift that God has given. God's the gift giver. God is always the gift giver. It's not that we can't randomly go out and do things. When Jesus sent the, the, the apostles out, they had been given uh, power from on high to do things, but in those moments, it was God who gave the gift, and they were there to be the acknowledgement, to, to, to be the flesh and bones, to say it was God that did that. And, and that was the idea. Paul wasn't laying his hands on Timothy as if he had power to give. He was acknowledging the power that was given by God. And, and not only Paul, but, but actually all of the elders and the, the leadership there in, in Ephesus, or where Timothy was, probably in Lystra, where he grew up. We read in Acts chapter 16 where the men of his town spoke well of Timothy and they, they acknowledged the work that God was doing in his life. And so perhaps that's what he's talking about. Now, it's interesting also that this is the second time that Paul reminds Timothy about the gift that he'd been given. If you were with us through 1 Timothy, you remember in 1 Timothy 4.14 where Paul tells Timothy, do not neglect the gift you have which was given by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. It's the second time he's telling him now, Timothy, hey, first time I'm telling you, don't, 
Don't neglect a gift. What does the word neglect mean? To not think about, to not respond appropriately, to disregard, to pay no attention to. But now, Paul is, is telling Timothy to fan the flame of the gift. It's a different, different idea. He told him not to ne- neglect the gift in 1 Timothy 4, to, to not disregard it, but to remember it. And now he's telling him to fan it, to fan the flame of the gift. What is the gift? The gift is the Holy Spirit. The gift is the Holy Spirit. Why do I say that? Five times in the book of Acts, it mentions the Holy Spirit as the gift. Acts chapter 2, verse 28, Peter says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, that you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And again, in Acts 10, 45, after Cornelius and his whole household come to Christ and the Holy Spirit falls upon them. Peter said in verse 45, and the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. Jesus also refers to the Holy Spirit as a gift in Luke chapter 11, verse 13. He says, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? Will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? He's a gift. He's a gift from the Lord. According to Romans chapter 8, verses 9 through 11, everyone who has sincere faith receives the Holy Spirit. How do you know you're saved? Do you have the Holy Spirit inside of you? That's how you know you're saved. You can't be saved if the Holy Spirit's not inside of you. Is it possible for the Holy Spirit to be inside of you and you not know it? I don't think so. Maybe, but maybe in, in the moment like the thief on the cross kind of situation, but, but, if, but if you're a believer, you're going to see the, the Holy Spirit at work in your life initially. Even as an infant, you see the Holy Spirit at work in your life. He's a gift that God has given. He's also the seal from God. That is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it according to Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. The Holy Spirit, as the gift from God, listen, then gives us further gifts. Do you know that? He's the initial gift from God. And then the Holy Spirit, who is a person, who's not some active force, impersonal force of God, he is actually a person, and he determines what gifts you need to operate for Christ in any given situation. And in fact, Paul tells us that in 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 8. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit, listen, for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit, the utterance of wisdom, to the other, the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another, faith by the same Spirit, to another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another, the works of miracles, to another, prophecy, to another, the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another, various kinds of tongues, to another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, listen, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. As he wills. He's a person. 
And God gives you the gift of the Holy Spirit, which is the absolute best gift you could ever give. Do you know what Jesus said about the Holy Spirit? It's to your benefit that I go away. Because if I go away, the Father will send the Holy Spirit upon you. Jesus said, it's not, even, it's not even best for me to walk with you side by side, but it's better for me to leave and for the Holy Spirit to come down inside of you. You have that power, the same power that I'm operating by will come and live inside of you. That's the gift that Paul is reminding Timothy of, and he's telling Timothy, don't neglect it. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 14, now he's telling Timothy, fan the flame. Fan the flame, fan into flame the gift. What does that mean? The word fan there, it's an action word. It literally means revive the fire. Revive the fire. I don't know about you, I love campfires. I love being out in the wilderness. I love starting fires. I love, you know, everything about it. But let me tell you something about fires. They don't start themselves. They don't maintain themselves. If you start a fire, the only way that fire is going to continue to, um, to burn is if you're active in it. If you're not active in, in making that fire burn, it will go out, right? And the thing that you'll be left with are the embers. doesn't mean you don't have the Holy Spirit. He's just not ablaze in your life. Here's the thing. The, the, the reality of this is, is that there are only two reasons why a flame goes down to an ember. There's only two reasons in a fire, right? Number one is because, there's, um, because it's being smothered. There's not enough oxygen to get into the, the flame to, to ignite it, to keep it burning. That's one reason, because it's smothered. The other reason is because it you don't have enough supply to burn. So in other words, you've run out of stuff to burn. I want to tell you, number one, Timothy's problem is not supply. The Holy Spirit has an endless supply of what we need to burn. Timothy's problem, if he has a problem relating to the Holy Spirit, his problem is that he's smothering the Spirit of God. Probably by what? By neglect right? Second, First Timothy chapter 4, verse 14, that's why Paul said that. There's a connection. You, you can smother the Holy Spirit by neglecting Him, by refusing to, to walk in His power, refusing to walk in His gifting. And what happens? The Bible says, do not quench the Holy Spirit. That's the exact opposite of what Paul's talking about here. Do not quench Him. How do you quench the Holy Spirit? Again, by being inactive with the Holy Spirit, by living in sin, by being rebellious to the Lord. That's how you quench the Spirit of God. Timothy, fan the flame. Fan it. Fan it. Make the, let the Spirit of God ignite you in such a way that you stay ablaze because if you do that, you will never, ever be ashamed of Christ. If you're operating in the power of the Holy Spirit, you will, have, you, know, you will have a boldness that is from the Holy Spirit. You will have a, a resolve that is from the Holy Spirit. Um, you know, how many of you guys can do this on your own? Anybody? 
How many of you guys can do this life on your own? You're like, yeah, I can totally do it, Lord. Good luck with that. You know, the reality is none of us can do it on our own. We need the Holy Spirit, and that's exactly what Paul is telling Timothy. Don't try and do it on your own. You'll never do ministry on your own. You'll never be able to minister. You'll never have the words to say to somebody in a moment if you're not operating in the Spirit of God. You've got to walk by the Spirit of God. It's an active participation. That's what he's saying. It's an active thing. You can't just, um, you know, think that that's just going to go on by itself. I want to draw your attention to one thing here that he said in 1 First Corinthians 12, that did you notice that as the Holy Spirit, as we fan the flame of the Holy Spirit, he set us ablaze and we're operating in the gifts of the Spirit, whatever those are, words of wisdom, words of knowledge, by the way, do not be afraid to operate in the gifts of the Spirit. Do not be afraid to, to let the Holy Spirit work in your life. If God gives you a word that, that, you, that is for somebody, you go tell them what he said. Don't hold back. That's being ashamed. Spirit of fear. Don't operate in the spirit of fear. You need to fan the flame. Um, but Paul said this. Listen, the gift that you've been given, I, I emphasized it when I read it. It's for the common good. You know what that means? That means if you don't operate in the, in the power of the spirit and the gifting of the spirit, you're robbing the body of Christ. Because it's not just for your good, but it's for the common good. The idea that Paul said you know, um, to the church in Corinth, Corinth, he said, I want to impart a spirit, some, some spiritual gifting to you that you might impart some spiritual gifting to me. It's beneficial. It's supposed to go together. Some of you have um, unique giftings that nobody else in this body has. And if you don't walk in those giftings, then you're robbing the body of those giftings. You know, some of you have, um, you know, other giftings that, from the Holy Spirit that you know you have, but you've neglected, and you're not walking in that. And, and I would tell you this morning, start fanning it. Start fanning it. Start, start to say, Lord, I'm available. I want, I want to actively work in participation with the, the gifting that you've given me, Lord. Give me an opportunity. Let me do it. You know, um, do these things. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of these things. Paul says, fan the flame of your heart. Um, I'm not going to go into the next section here. Verse 7, for God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and of self-control. Actually, I am. Timothy was under <laughs> constant fire in Ephesus. I have to, man. I can't stop right now. Listen, false teachers were trying to intimidate Timothy. They were trying to keep him down, to press him down. They were trying to oppress him by his age and the, by his personality because he was probably a naturally timid person. And so they're trying to tell him, hey, you're not old enough. We're older than you. We're wiser than you. You don't know what you're talking about. You know, the same things I get at times. You know, I, people tell me that. And I'm like, hey, praise the Lord, you know. I don't know what I'm talking about, but, but the Bible does, and I'm just quoting that. So if you've got a problem, go talk to God about it, you know. But, but here's the thing. This is demonic attack on Timothy. This is, this is a demonic attack on Timothy, and he's being wearied of this. And so Paul is reminding him of the power source, the resources that he has. The second thing that uh, we need to do if we want to stay, uh, stay um, shameless for Christ is rely on the resources given. Paul goes on here, and he, says, he reminds Timothy, hey, if you're, in, if you're in fear, that's not of God. The spirit of fear is not 
of God. God, had, God gave us a spirit not of fear. That word fear there in the Greek is uh, delia, and it literally means cowardice or timidity. Timothy's being, uh, you know, potentially walking in this fear is going to make him a coward. He's going to be ashamed of Christ if he doesn't, doesn't watch out for this fear. The Bible mentions another word, um, you know, in the New Testament for fear, and it's the word phobia, uh, and, and, and phobos, which is where we get our word phobia. That fear is speaking of a, a, a panic, a flight, terror, but it also is referring to a reverence and a respect, and that's the kind of fear that we're supposed to have. That kind of a fear, that's a God-given fear, like when you walk down the alley and it's dark out and, and someone comes up with a knife and all of a sudden you're afraid, that's from God. That's a God-given fear, right? Um, you know, and, and, and also the fact that we're reverent towards God, that fear of God, who He is. He's God. We need to have a healthy... But, but, but t- Paul is using a different word here. He's using this word, delia. He's talking about being a coward. Um, according to Strong's Dictionary, this, this, this delia fear describes a person who loses their moral gumption or fortitude that is needed to follow the Lord. And the Thayer Greek lexicon, it says the term was used to describe Christians who, um, through cowardice, give way under persecution and apostasy. This kind of fear is not from God. It's a fleshly fear. It's a sinful fear. It's, it's always used in a negative context in the Bible. And I want you to know that God, if, you know, even right now in what's going on in our country today, if you're walking in a spirit of fear, it's not from God. It's not from God. You don't have to be afraid in that regard. You, you don't, God's not giving you that kind of fear. We need to trust the Lord. Um, a, a spirit of fear will, it'll, de- disa- it'll paralyze you, de- debilitate you from doing, from using the gift that God has given you. It will cause you to neglect the gift that you have been given. God wants you to know that he didn't give you that, but he did give you some resources. He gave you power, love, and a sound mind. These are supernatural resources that we need in order to live the Christian life. That word power in the Greek, dunamis, it's where we get our word dynamite from. It describes a supernatural power to do supernatural things. Jesus told us, uh, his disciples in Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. This is a special power, something uh, we refer to specifically in that context as the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We believe that that is a special power that God gives the believer in a moment to do the work that he's calling them to do. There are three relationships that we can have with the Holy Spirit. The, the world has one relationship. The Holy Spirit is with everyone. He's working. He's about. He's drawing people. He's doing these things. He's with everyone. So we have that relationship with the Holy Spirit. The second relationship we have with the Holy Spirit can only come if you're a believer, and that is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. That's the second relationship that you can have. He is within you, Jesus said. And the third kind of relationship that we can all have with the Holy Spirit um, is this upon relationship, where it is speaking here about the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's what Jesus was talking about there. 
All of us, listen, have the Holy Spirit within us. Some of us may ever, never, ever experience the baptism of the Holy Spirit in, in this way because we're walking in a spirit of fear, because we're afraid to, to operate in that spirit. But I want you to know, regardless, you do already have power. He's given you power. He's given you the ability to walk in this way. Secondly, not only has he given you power, but he's also given you uh, um, love. He's given you love. Again, wh where does that come from? The Holy Spirit, right? The fruit of the Spirit is love, right? It's singular, love. And then out of love flows peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. If you're struggling with loving people today, it's because you're not walking in the Spirit. Because the Spirit, it gives the fruit of love. And God is love. And if you want to represent God, you need to be loving. You need to walk in this love. You've been given the, the ability, I'm telling you, you've been given the ability to love difficult people. You've been given the ability to love people that do not love you back. You've been given it, but you have to walk in the Spirit in order to exhibit it. Not only has he given us the spirit of love, but also he's also given us um, a sound mind. And some of, us, some of us, this is the most important resource for us right now. A sound mind, it, it literally it, it is speaking about sort of the, this peaceful, calm, self-controlled mind that doesn't let your thoughts run about everything and anything that could happen, right? But it's a sound mind. It's a mind that stays focused. It's a, sound, it's a mind that in every circumstance and situation has a resolve that says, I'm trusting the Lord. It's that kind of mind. It's a Holy Spirit-given kind of mind. It's the mind of Christ. Philippians 2, 5, let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus also. It's a mind. I'm telling you, life is, life is all lived in the mind. Your ability to be successful in your walk is by the power of the Holy Spirit, but your battle will be in your mind. Your, it'll be in your mind, and so God made sure to cover that for you. He said, hey, I know you're gonna struggle in your mind, so I'm gonna give you a sound one. I'm gonna give you one that you can, you can trust in. It's, it's, it's a spirit-filled mind. And so it, it, if we operate in these resources that we've been given through the Holy Spirit, you will remain shameless for Christ. Your love will not wane for the Lord. If you operate in the gifting if, uh, that you've been given through the Holy Spirit, keep him ablaze. If you use the resources that the Holy Spirit gives you in your life, power and love and sound mind, listen, it's not gonna matter a whole bunch about what's going on around you because you have all the resources you need you're going to be able to say that same phrase as, you know, Garth Brooks does in, um, in his song, Shameless, you know, that I am shameless when it comes to loving you, Jesus. I'm shameless. I'm not afraid to love you and, and let the world know it, right? It's the moment when, when Elf comes into the coffee shop and he, or, or comes into his dad's office and goes, I'm in love, I'm in love, and I don't care who knows it. That's the idea. The Holy Spirit is the key. Both of these things that Paul talks about, and what we're going to continue to talk about is the Holy Spirit is the key to remaining shameless. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you so much for your word this morning. Thank you for the grace and goodness, Lord, of 
your spirit in our lives. And we ask, Lord, even now for an empowerment of your spirit. Father, we pray just for um, your spirit to come, Lord, and to just fill us this morning, Lord. Help us to uh, just rely on the spirit this morning. And uh, if we haven't been, Lord, if, we, if we've allowed, if we've neglected the gift of the Holy Spirit this morning, we pray that you would help us right now to fan it, to be active in it. Father, that you would uh, give us the resolve to say, no longer am I going to live in obscurity. I want to live for Christ, but I need the Spirit. And can we we can fan those embers into flames. So this morning, for anyone who is in that state, you ask the Lord, God, come now. Help me to fan the flame, the gift that you've given me, the Holy Spirit. He's, he's desiring to do that this morning. You just ask him. And Father, for some of us, we have been living in our own power. And that has resulted in us being unloving towards other people and being confused and being fearful in our mind, our minds wandering. And we ask you to forgive us for that this morning. We do pray, Lord, that even right now you help us to, to just um, take hold of the resources that we've been given through the Holy Spirit. It's not like we have to get them. We already have them. You've already given them. We just have to use them. So will you show us how to do that, Lord? Will you help us to just take an active step of faith this morning? Say, Lord, I want to walk in your power. God, I want to walk in your love. I want to have a sound mind, Lord, that is steadfast on Christ. A mind that is set on things above and not on things of this world. We ask you for that covering over the mind even right now of some here today, Lord. We thank you for your son, Jesus, for what he's done for us. We thank you for salvation, and we do thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.